The Premier League soccer season is heating up. Turn to Betting Weekly English Premier League on the Bet Rivers Network for the best bets and analysis for this week's features. Subscribe to Betting Weekly Premier League today wherever you get your podcast. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Hey there, rock and rollers, and welcome to the 10th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast, brought to you from just off Abbey Road here in beautiful London, where it snowed this Sunday. I hope all of you in the city had the chance to go out and enjoy some of that this weekend. Me and the Cubs went over to Primrose Hill to watch it come down for about an hour and a half and see some really amazing snowmen being built, interact with some of our fellow Londoners, as in two years of living here. It's the only snow I've ever seen. Quite enjoyable and a nice break to the gray wet. London winter. This week, we're going to visit a band that you knew we were going to have to cover at some point. If you know me in Action Jackson, you know that we love Led Zeppelin, top three bands of all time easily for me with Rush and the Rolling Stones. But we're not going to tackle all of Zeppelin. Today, we're going to focus on basically their last album, the 1979 classic In Through the Outdoor, which is an outlier in the Zeppelin catalog, not a heavy rocker, maligned by some as too proggish, not heavy enough maybe even too excessive, the excess of the day, the ability to get away with making these ridiculous long songs overlaced and overdubbed and overproduced. Well, I think it ages a lot better than a lot of the stuff they overplay on FM radio in the United States. And we want to talk about that here today on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Hey, we want you to check us out on Twitter. We're at ugly underscore werewolf. And also check us out, see if you like some of our past episodes. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf.Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. But first, before we get into In Through the Outdoor, we want to talk a little bit about a new record out by Steve Hackett, someone we've covered previously on the show, our number five and six episodes. We're all about Steve and his time in Genesis. And he has a new acoustic album out called Under a Mediterranean Sky, inspired by travels throughout the Mediterranean, the islands, the deserts, the seas, the ancient cities of the Mediterranean that he and his wife Joe undertook. And it inspired him to pick up an acoustic guitar and write a beautiful album. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We really want to get into the majesty of Led Zeppelin and why In Through the Outdoor, though not your typical Zeppelin album, though not preferred by the heavy and hard rock crowd, I think is a beautiful statement, the celebration of John Paul Jones, the underrated and overlooked member of Led Zeppelin for so long. The last dance from one of the greatest bands of all time. It's In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Did you like Under a Mediterranean Sky by Steve Hackett? I'm going to tell you what. Somebody got me to listen to classical music. <laughs> What's going on with that? I know. Sorry it's, about it's that. It's interesting because, you know, again, you, you would – if you told me – like I don't know who this person is. I'd never heard of this person before. I don't know anything about him. But he was a guy and he was a guitarist for a rock band from the 70s. That's not what I would expect at all. It's it's very it's melodic. There's no electric instruments at all. It's just a dude. His uh, acoustic guitar, nylon string acoustic guitar. It's pretty good, and I think it's one of those albums where, at the time that we're talking right now, it's just come out. Mm-hmm. I think the more you listen to it, the more you're going to like it because it's it's pretty complex. It is, and Roger King, who's been his kind of producer and piano player for two decades now, really his partner in crime. Put together some nice orchestrations. There's some string stuff on there that kind of goes with some of the guitar on some of the songs. And it's basically about traveling the Mediterranean, the islands, the deserts, the, the sea, the beaches, all that kind of stuff. The ancient cities, places like Malta, amazing places that I hope we get to go to here at some point. Maybe not in 2021, but hopefully 2022, you never know. But Steve Hackett just hasn't lost form. 70 years old. Been doing this over 50 years, and he still sounds amazing and still creating new music. I just think he's amazing and and totally underrated, especially in America. Yeah, and and a guy who's not rehashing the same thing. This This doesn't sound like anything else he's really ever done, as far as I know. And what I would really, if you will ever come on and talk to us, Steve, what I want to know is, was he thinking about making an album, or was he just on a vacation with his wife and was struck to do this? Because if it's if it's this, the latter, then that really is amazing that, you know, you can just be sitting there enjoying yourself. I mean, that like that picture on the front cover looks amazing. You're just looking out mm-hmm. at the sea and that's the greatest place in the world. And it just inspires you to do this. That that's a that's a true artist in my book. I was fortunate I did buy the, the autograph double blue vinyl LP, but it comes with a CD, which is how I prefer to listen to stuff. Uh, so I've been listening to that over and over, and just, the packaging is beautiful. It comes with a small book that takes some pictures of where they were, some of the spots where they were, some taken by Joe, his wife, some by Steve, some of them, and just a little synopsis of the different places and the songs. Just beautiful, and I think anyone who appreciates guitar music will appreciate it. Obviously, it's not real heavy, a little progressive, but there's no keyboard or anything. There's no wicked guitar solos or effects. It's really him and his 
and his acoustic guitar with a little bit of orchestration provided by Roger. Check it out. I think it's the first top 10 record he's had in the UK in more than 40 years. So kudos to Steve. What I've seen, it's getting uh, a lot of positive reviews. It is, it's cool to see something like that hit home with people because it's not something you expect from a guy like that. And you know, the regular music press too busy promoting Dua Lipa or whoever. Uh, to take note of someone like Steve Hackett. So, yeah, I, I encourage people to check it out, to pick it up. And there's some great, he's done some great interviews on some different podcasts and, and for different magazines and radio shows. So, so check them out out there. I got to tell you, I, I loved the album for so long. I know that it is the odd, let's call it the black sheep of the Led Zeppelin canon. And much maligned, especially when it came out in 79, when punk was still big, when they thought heavy metal was dead, when they thought, you know, a lot of the big progressives of the 70s were dead or that's that's over with, right? You know, Yes was having, was kind of breaking up. Genesis was going in a more pop direction. All the overblown stadium rock. People kind of railed against this. And even in the, although I think that the album's aged well, gets more respect now than maybe it did back in the day. Still, there's some vitriol towards this record. I mean, where do you hold it in the Led Zeppelin canon? Well, it's definitely not my favorite. Yeah. But I think the, the the one thing that I really got into listening to this again, there's really no low spots in it. I mean, it, it starts and then like in the evenings, a little slow at the beginning, like that, whoa, whoa, whoa. But man, once it kicks in, it's like, whoa. But what I think is interesting is the fact that this even got made is insane because you had Bonham was an alcoholic mm, and, you know, circling the drain. Jimmy Page was in the throes of heroin addiction what I didn't realize is that these guys were in the same boat as the Stones and everybody else with. They were in tax exile. They weren't even allowed to be in uh, England. So, it, like I said, it, it looks like, that. It, from what I can see, it looks like really most of this was Page and Jones. And mean, the fact that it, you mean Plant and Jones? I'm sorry, yeah, Plant and Jones. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, Page and, and Bonham were out of it, even though uh, Page did, uh, did mix the whole thing and engineer it. At his studio, it As was still a always did. It was, um, yeah, it was a labor of love. But it, yeah, there's really no, there's really no low spots once it gets going. I think, like you said, I think this is much maligned because it's not physical graffiti, it's not Houses of the Holy, it's not the first one. Mm -hmm. But it's it, it's pretty good. I mean, I think a lot of people would, a lot of bands would kill to have this record in their arsenal, even though by Zeppelin standards, it's not the most. Oh, you know what else I was going to say, too, mm -hmm. about making this record? The whole thing with All of My Love, Plant's son had just died. So that was another whammy that got thrown into the mix. Yeah, Led Zeppelin really had some tough times after the release of the double album, Physical Graffiti. There, there really isn't a whole lot from Led Zeppelin after that. Obviously, in the early 70s, they made the first four albums and Houses of the Holy. Then in the mid-70s, they come back with the movie and the soundtrack. The song remains the same. And they, they seemed a little out of date at that point because they had recorded it in 73. And then by the time 76, it comes around and punk is out. Now they already look outdated. But they come out with their epic, the only double album they ever made, Physical Graffiti, which has all sorts of amazing stuff on it. And they could have retired on that. But then, yes, there were car accidents. Robert Plant had a very hard time recovering from. I think making presents was very difficult. 
which was, well, I guess, 77 Presence came out, and he was lucky to survive that. And to me, Presence is really Achilles' last stand and a few other songs. And then, yeah, they were, I didn't know this either, they were tax exiles. They had to be away from the UK, so they couldn't tour there. Now, they could tour America all they wanted, and boy, howdy, did they. Uh, because the American audiences eat them up, eat this up. I mean, I'm looking at the Platinum Awards for Men Through the Outdoor. You know, a lot of places it went silver and gold and platinum, maybe a double platinum here and there, but in... In America, is like six or seven times platinum. Americans just ate up Led Zeppelin. They loved them. And I guess Zeppelin loved them right back from the stories I've heard. And, and I think you're right. They never, in the United States, they never went away. They were still, you know, you had punk rock, but I think the Led Zeppelin machine was still churning in the United States. And yet they, they couldn't get enough of them at the, you know, the LA Forum or wherever the story about, you know, who was it, uh, Bonham when he's drag racing down the Sunset Strip doing insane things like that that you can only get away with here in the United States right. if you're if you're uh, Bonham and you say hey you know cops don't be so mad come to the show yeah right hey sorry about going so fast but you got to check out what's under the hood here and the cops are like yeah let me check that out you know you, know, you get in trouble over here for that stuff uh, but back home. Uh, in L.A., yeah, man, that's what the Sunset Strip is for. But it, it, it also kind of showed what could have been a changing of the guard with Led Zeppelin, because you're right, Jimmy was out of it. And if you look at their pictures from their Nebworth concert in 79, which came out, I think they had to do the shows maybe a week or two or three um, before they actually got the album released, or maybe it was a month or so. So they had to do these huge Nebworth shows. And if you see the movie, or if you see just the stills to promote that show. John Bonham and Jimmy Page are two opposite sides of the spectrum. John Bonham is bloated. He's been drinking so hard and he is very heavy, uh, not looking very rock starish. And then there's Jimmy who's wearing like a jacket and tie and it's hanging off of him. You know, it's, it's probably clothes that fit him fine a couple of years before, but it looks like he's wearing his older brother's clothes to picture day at school or something because he's riding that horse so hard. He's just skin and bones, you know. And, and that's the one where, like, you see him and he's sitting in the chair for part of it because he can't even make it through the whole deal. And, yeah, the, the fact that he could even put himself together to get up there is just, it's insane. Yeah, and that double-neck Gibson that he plays in concert, that thing weighs a ton anyway. But if you're in the throes of a heroin addiction, uh, it's got to be just an anchor around your neck. Well, then you figure too if you're plant and uh john paul jones you're i mean you've got to be thinking okay here's here, here it comes or you know either one of them who what are we getting today are we getting ready to go or are we getting dragging yourself in here what's and, happening and from what i've read a lot of it was plant and john paul jones fairly sober because plant you know had had that horrible car accident and then he lost his son and didn't need to be in the throes of something he needed to feel those emotions john paul jones is a pretty mild-mannered guy anyway still married to the same woman for over 50 years. So that's, you know, very stable gentleman, I would call John Paul Jones. And then you got Jimmy smacked out someplace and, and John Bonham wasted, loaded. So they would come in during the day and then John and Jimmy would have to add their stuff at night. So from what I remember from reading Hammer of the Gods back freshman year of high school or whenever that was, that this was John Paul Jones' time to shine. This is his role in the band is beginning to change because they're there. They have to lay something down. Jimmy and John won't show up. They're in no condition to play, whatever the case may be. Let's do something for us. And there's two songs on this record, Southbound Soiree, which kind of has a boogie-woogie 
piano to it and all my love are the only two songs plus bonzo's mantra which ended up on coda those are the only songs that jimmy page does not have a writing credit for and jones and plant are co-writers on all the songs uh, on the album except hot dog was just jimmy and robert otherwise they were all uh the three of them John Paul Jones, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page writing together, or in the case of All My Love and Southbound Soiree, just Jones and Plant. So you got to think of who, where did Led Zeppelin come from? Led Zeppelin came from Jimmy Page being one of the most amazing studio session musicians in the history of rock and roll, in the history of London. He's on hundreds and hundreds of hit records, including Goldfinger, hits by the Kinks and the Who, because he was, he was in there uh, as a kid. He started as a teenager and just was reliable uh, and could play all the different stuff. So he's on all that. He decides after a stint in the Yardbirds, he wants to go ahead and put together a big band. So he gets John Paul Jones, who is another amazing session man, but a quiet guy, right? Not not a real pound your fist, not a real, we're going to do this or my way or else. So, But extremely talented and can do a lot of different things. He's not just a bass player. He can play the mandolin. He can play some guitar. He can play keyboard and organ and piano. And then he goes to the Midlands to get a couple of unknown, basically teenagers, Robert Plant and John Henry Bonham. And Page always likes to say how the four of them were individually the best at what they did. And then when you brought them together, it was just incredible magic. And that's that's how it started, right? And that's what I always kind of feel, I always think is strange too, because you had these four dudes who were awesome at their own individual thing. And usually that doesn't work in a band. Usually you have one person has to be the, the leader of the deal and I think it just had to do with, I think it had a lot to do with John Paul Jones, like you said, being that reserved, you know, whatever you need me to do, I can, you know, I can play the bass, I can play the, the mandolin, the keyboard, anything you want. And just realizing that they, the four of them together worked so well, I can't think of, I mean, maybe the who, but I know those guys didn't really get along. They, they just, they butted heads the whole time because Moon wanted to be out in front and, you know, also whacked out of his mind all the time. Right. But, uh, and Pete wrote yeah, most all the music, right? I mean, the other guys certainly contributed, but it was it was Pete writing the songs. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this, like you said, you can really you can hear Jones and the keyboard really taking almost center stage on this record. And yeah, who knows what would have happened if this if they had gone on? Would that would the sound have changed? Who knows? And that I want to get into in a little while, yeah, because where it could have gone is just another we'll we'll never know. But to your point, someone has to be in charge. That someone was James Patrick Page. He was the one with all the experience. He's the one who owned the Yardbirds name at the end of it with a manager named Peter Grant. And of course, they toured as the new Yardbirds early in their career before they made the, the change over to Led Zeppelin. But so Pagey is driving all this. He's driving the sound. He's writing all the songs. He's producing all the records. And he doesn't get enough credit for that because... He's creating that Zeppelin sound. And yeah, he does a lot of overdubs and stuff that might be a little difficult to recreate genuinely on stage. But you can't beat the mix for the radio or hearing the record on the on the stereo. Now, I will have to say that this is a quick aside to John Paul Jones. There's a, there's a track of him in like, I don't know, 94, 95, something like that with Lenny Kravitz playing Are You Gonna Go My Way? Mm-hmm. And the it, it, the story that I heard was that he like they just kind of asked him at the last minute. It's not like he rehearsed. It's not like he just jumped in there and killed it. So I think yeah, the, just the amount of the amount of talent in the band is insane. 
And but but to your point, that's correct. Jimmy Page, make no mistake, he was in charge of the deal, guiding it. You know, even though he was out of his mind, he did produce this deal and put it all together to make it sound like Led Zeppelin. And he's really the one that's that's over the years done all the remaster, remixes, everything. He is in charge of how this thing goes. That's what I was going to say. You said he was he was in charge of Led Zeppelin. He still is. He he, <laughs> he never wasn't in charge of Led Zeppelin, right? I mean. Peter Grant used his leverage to get them incredible record deals, and the cover alone on In Through the Outdoor is just another proof of that. They got this clause in their contract that they can do whatever they want with packaging materials, and the record company has to pay for it. That's why you got the kind of the pinwheel spin on the third album, uh, where you can spin it around and see pictures in different circles on it. And on Physical Graffiti, there are all the windows. And uh, on the album, you could pull it out and then stick different faces oh, in yeah. the windows yeah. and, and things like this. And on this album, I guess it technically had six different covers, all a variation on the same guy in the bar kind of burning the Dear John letter that he got, but different angles of all that. And so they wrapped it in brown paper. So when you went to the record store, you didn't know which cover you were going to get. And then you would, you know, you would unwrap that. And when they did the remasters, they did send it with a brown paper bag, basically on top of the CD case and you pull it out and then you get to see uh, what you got there. Of course, I dutifully bought the re-release with the um, the deluxe bonus edition back in 2015 with the rough mixes in there because I just, I love the album. And I think the part of it too was, wasn't there a deal about how it was in black and white and if you put something on it like water or something, the color would show up or... Yeah, it was just, it was kind of gimmicky and then I think the picture was supposed to be like different people sitting at the bar looking at this one guy mm-hmm. for, yeah, burning the letter. But it's so, yeah, it was, it's just a cool, you know, so, again, something that doesn't really happen that much anymore that they put that much time and effort into marketing. Because, I mean, I guess you didn't have the internet. You didn't have anything else. You had to create hype around this deal. Right. And it was it's something they had used to show off their power for years as far as because they had negotiated that in the contract. Like, let's just do it. Let's make it cool. Let's let's do something not everybody else gets to do. And the, I the, can. Yeah, because I can. And the originals of some of those can be pretty nice collector's album. Uh, but my point was that Jimmy drove it. Jimmy drove it all this way. And then finally we get to the point, okay, it's 10 years later. We're all grown-ups now. We're all pretty wealthy and have an identity within Led Zeppelin. Jimmy is now a little bit MIA. How are we going to make the trains go? How are we going to get this, get the wheels moving again? And I guess JPJ had gotten a cool new keyboard, a cool new synthesizer, and it was inspiring him to come up with some different textures. And it makes it a little more progressive. And I guess metalheads who want him to make Zeppelin 2 over and over again don't want to hear that, but I think it's really cool. It, and again, it ages well. American rock radio has ruined a lot of great Led Zeppelin songs because they overplay about six or seven of the same songs. I'm talking about stuff like Heartbreaker and Live in Love and May. It, some of these songs, they play way too much. They don't play Zeppelin 3 enough, except for Immigrant Song, which is basically all they play off of it. You know, there's a couple tracks off Zeppelin 4 they play way too much. I don't know if they play Cashmere too much. I do know that Puff Daddy ruined it a little bit for me. And Jimmy is complicit in that. You're complicit, Jimmy. So, you know, a lot of the songs are just overplayed. And especially when you take them out of the context of the record, I don't think they stand up as well over the test of time. 
But these songs on In Through the Outdoor, which a lot of them are longer, they're proggier, and they just have different textures from most of your basic straight-ahead hard rock Led Zeppelin albums. And it's too bad on this one because really, back to your point about how they only play certain songs, like off this one, you know, you've got All of My Love, You've got, got here... Fool in the Rain, they play. Eh, Fool in the Rain, they play a lot. In the Evening, maybe, but like Southbound Soiree, never. It's it's just, you can get into this a lot, a lot more. And the one that I kind of really kind of got hooked on to was Hot Dog. <laughs> because Hot I dog. was thinking about like, so you listen to that and you say, well, that kind of sounds like we're trying to go, we're trying to go retro, like, you know, the, the Texas Playboys or mm-hmm. something. Like, it did, was that like the how he got into the honey drippers. Like did you start thinking like, I want to be a fifties crooner kind of guy. I'm like, "Mm, I'm getting that vibe from that. That's interesting. Yeah. I I think I read something about when they were doing rehearsals or something like that, because they could rehearse a little bit in England before they had to leave. They were doing some Elvis, Scotty Moore, like Rick Nelson stuff, you know, to warm up with. And I think it was kind of born out of that. And it's kind of got a little bit of a country tinge to it, if you will. But obviously, uh, Jimmy's, he's a little sloppy, but he's still wailing on that one. Let's let's walk through the album a little bit, because here's the thing. I like to listen to an album. I want to listen to the whole thing. And I can't listen to Zeppelin 2 because of the few songs they overplay on there. Even on Zeppelin 4, I'll find myself skipping maybe a Black Dog or something like that because it's just it's a little overplayed. But I can listen to this all the way through and love it, and I'm sad when it's over. Well, I mean, that kind of, that goes back to the Boogie Night scene where they're sitting around and the guy's talking about how he likes to tape them because he can play the songs in any order he wants and don't tell me what to listen to. But... I, I mean, they put them together for a reason. One, two, three, four, you know, and then on the second side. So, yeah, you're right. To go through it, that this was done for a reason. Exactly. So you start within the evening, kind of moody, kind of builds up for a little bit, and then it crashes. Now, I think that John Bonham played some great drums on in the evening. He didn't like it much. He didn't like the way he sounded in the mix, and he probably knows why or knew why he didn't sound great. But on this song, I think he brings it. Oh, yeah. And, and that's one of those ones, like, if you've never heard this song before, like, it starts off, like, and then, you know, yeah, kind of spacey, like, yeah. what is this? And then it just hits you right across the face with, I think, one of the cool, one of Paige's cooler riffs. I mean, it just, it, what, it goes from slow to fast real quick. And I think it's, it's a great song. It's a great song. Killer riff, killer guitar work on there. And a great way to open the album. Once you start with that, then you know you're in for something, you know. And it's it's long. I mean, it's almost seven minutes. They're not going to play that on the radio, certainly not on a top 40 kind of radio. You know, it might be a bathroom song for a DJ at an album-oriented <laughs> radio, right? You know, you're always looking for those longer songs that you can actually yeah. go and spend a penny uh, before you have to get back and spin the records. So, great start. And then into Southbound Soiree, which again has this kind of cool boogie-woogie little piano thing on it. It's a Jones plant, right? Jimmy does throw some good guitar on there, but uh, but it's it's really the two of them that kind of make this thing kind of rock and, and wiggle a little bit. Well, and I think, too, once you... Okay, so you get in, in the evening, if you listen to that by itself, that sounds like a Led Zeppelin song, right? Mm-hmm. Then you get to this, and it's like, well, hey, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, with the, with the boogie-woogie piano. It works, but it's not like something you've heard before. And so, oh, okay, let's... Let's take a little trip down this road and see what happens. 
Exactly. You know, and Plant's vocals kind of really come through there. You can hear them very well, which you can't maybe in Kara Salambra, which we'll get to in a little bit, because I want to talk a lot about that song. But this is a good song. Probably didn't get, I think, Fool in the Rain, or All My Love was the big single, even though they didn't really do singles. Fool in the Rain, I mean, sorry, All My Love was the big single, and Fool in the Rain, it was either the B-side or it was something that the DJs kind of picked up on, like, this is a fun song, too. But you know what? If you're Mike Damone and you're telling people to put on a Led Zeppelin, record to get the girl ready. There's some tracks on this record that appeal to the female set. Unlike maybe something like an Achilles Last Stand or some of the really heavy stuff, Fool in the Rain and All of My Love bring in the female audience. Well, I've spent some, I've spent a lot of time on Fool in the Rain because uh, my son is into drumming. Mm-hmm. And if you start peeling back the onion on this thing, Bonham is fantastic on this track. Fantastic. He is all over the place. He uses different time signatures. He's got a little bit of that purdy shuffle going on underneath. Mm-hmm. He's that. This is a very complex song on the drum side, and I think that gets kind of swept under the rug because this is the it's, it's a single, and you're like, oh, you know, fool in the rain, <laughs> whatever. And at the end, they stop and they go into like the big drum solo. That's not like anything else on the record. I mean, anything else on the track. It's there's a lot going on on this song. A lot. And then when they, they blow the whistle in the middle and go into the, they speed up and it's kind of a yeah. march and it's almost kind of got a little island Caribbean thing to it a little bit. Yes. You kind of hear some steel maybe in there somewhere. And then Jimmy kind of lays down a, a big old fat solo and to bring it back, bottom is all over it. You're right. This is another, just between In the Evening and Fool in the Rain, John Bonham was not absent from this record, okay? He he may not have put out his best on every single track, but obviously he can stand out and it stands the test of time. Yeah, and, and, and it's insane to think that this was a guy who was, you know, in the in the downward spiral of alcoholism and could still show up and blow out the place. Just is a testament to how good he really was. Especially on the drums. Playing the drums is incredibly physically difficult to do, especially if you're in bad shape. You'd be in bad shape and pick a guitar all day long. But playing the drums at that level, smacking them the way he did to create that big noise. When you're sick, goodness, you know, and it just kind of, Mike Portnoy, just take care of yourself, man. Don't drink too much, right? We... (laughs) We need someone to carry the torch, you know. I will admit, though, on the Hot Dog, the shortest song on the album, because it has those country tinges to it, I always kind of avoided it a little bit. I would often... I saw a critic saying, Kara Salama, it's too long, it's got these weird lyrics that you can't even hear, and it changes into the three different songs. And I think most people are going to skip that to get to All My Love and I'm Going to Crawl. But to be honest with you, I kind of often skip Hot Dog, because everyone who knows the wolf knows he's not a fan of country music, or most of the people who listen to it. And I just want to kind of skip past that one. But it's really got some good guitar work by Jimmy, although I think he overlays a few things there in the studio that he wouldn't have been able to recreate. It's just kind of was sticking stuff in there. It, It definitely doesn't go with anything else. And, you know, he, he, like you said, it's got a country twang to it. He's picking on the, uh, I mean, if I, I couldn't, I don't know this for a fact, but I would think maybe he was playing a Telecaster on this mm-hmm. to get that, to get that country twang in there. And it, and it, it I mean, I, I would agree with you. A lot of times I would skip that song, but just going through again and listening to it, I'm like, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if this was the, maybe not the beginnings of, but this kind of started him down to the, the more of the crooner avenue that he was looking at. 
But yeah, it's only three minutes and 15 seconds. You blink and you'll miss it, which were a lot of those early like 50s country songs. They were all, you know, two minutes, three minutes maybe, and that was it. Yeah, two minutes, you know, minute 58. I mean, those those were quick tunes back in the day. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, on the tape or on the album, you would go to side two. But the fifth song, Carousalambra, the epic, 10 and a half minutes, second longest song from the studio in the Led Zeppelin canon. And it's probably on first listen, if you're used to Led Zeppelin's back catalog, and then you hear this, this is a lot to undertake. This is There's basically three songs in one here, about 35-40% of the way from a kind of hyped up synth it kind of goes into a slower thing with Jimmy's guitar. And then, you know, the last third of it, last several minutes of it, it kind of whips back up again. I think it's an amazing song. But I realized that, especially when you compare it to the, all the other songs of the album, I have no idea of any of the lyrics of this song. I All these other songs, I can sing you back and forth because I've heard them all a hundred times. I've heard Kira Salambra just as many times. And I don't know any of the words. And I, so I decided to look them up. And, you know, they're a little flaky, kind of poetry-ish, you know. I'm really just kind of appreciating Robert's voice as an instrument, right? Instead of what he's saying, more like how he's saying it. But what's interesting is on the deluxe edition from 2015, in the rough mix, which is actually a little bit longer, if you can believe it, than the finished product, you can hear him better. The lyrics aren't as muddled. I still don't know them by heart, and I don't listen to the rough mixes much because all of them are actually pretty close to the finished product anyway. So I'm like, why would I want to hear 80% of what I love? You know, why not just hear the whole thing? But, I mean, what's your take on this thing? Well, again, you're talking about this. This was, okay, so in the original format, you would have flipped the thing over, either the tape or the record album. Mm -hmm. And so you go from this little light, the hot dog deal, to somebody handing you an anvil. I mean, this is just, we start from the beginning, this is just crushing you. <laughs> and it's its really good. And like you said, this is not a, this is not for the faint of heart. It's 10 minutes and 28 <laughs> seconds long. This is not the Mike Damone track to get the ladies interested. This is, well, I don't know about all this. But yeah, it, it proves that they still could reach back and put together something that's just epic. And you're right, the, the lyrics are, it, it, it's almost like his his voice is more like an instrument. Mm -hmm. You know, adding to the rest of the song, not driving it with the lyrics. But yeah, no, it's it's great, and definitely an underappreciated Zeppelin track. And I, I love the three pieces of it, because you start off, it's very techno-y, very keyboard-driven, but it's, it's pretty fast, you know. Uh, and Bonham does some great drumming through this as well. And then there's kind of the time change, with a heavy guitar from Jimmy. And he allegedly played the big red Gibson double neck 1250 in the studio on this song. Only song allegedly that he ever did that for, that Gibson double neck was really for touring. It was for being on the road. But he played it on this thing. Yeah, you, know, yeah, you figure in the studio you really wouldn't need it because you could have more than one guitar sitting there and you could you could, you know, lay down a couple of tracks. You wouldn't need to switch that quick between the six and the twelve. But it is a cool I it, it's a cool image to think of him standing there in the studio rocking out with that thing. The image of Jimmy Page with that double string Gibson guitar is one of the coolest images in all of rock and roll, to be honest with you. Whether he's wearing the dragon costume or not. 
if he's playing that thing and he's holding it up and he's giving a look to somebody in the crowd, like that is rock and roll. He is God. My son, uh, he took some guitar lessons and we were talking about the, the guitar teacher had a, he had a Les Paul. And so my son was asking about, you know, oh, you know what, why do you have this guitar? What's so great about this guitar? And I looked at the teacher and I said, the only thing you need to know about the Les Paul is that Jimmy Page played it. And the teacher, he's this old, crusty dude. And he's like, exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. The, the, just the image of Jimmy Page is you, you don't get more rock and roll than that. Absolutely. And, you know, the sad thing is they did a brief tour and then they were supposed to do a tour of America. So they did a European tour. They're supposed to do a tour of America. Obviously it didn't happen because of John Bonham's passing. But they had planned to play Caris Salambra in America. They had planned to have Jimmy have the 12-string on him and there to step out and do the whole 10 and a half, 11-minute song, which would have been epic. And you know that there would have been boots or hopefully a legitimate live release of it at some point. But that was not meant to be. And that's it's something we'll always wonder what if on. And that, that would have been... That would have been cool because you know if you had gone to the show and had no idea, you'd think there's no way they'll play this. This is not a this is not something that they're going to break out. And then the yeah, you, it's unmistakable when they would have gone into it. So yes, you're right. That would have been epic had it actually happened. I mean, you know, they would do dazed and confused for 20, 30 minutes or something crazy like that. They, they could stretch a song out if they really wanted to. And obviously, something like Achilles' Last Stand, and, and maybe, you know, some of the in the light some of the there's some songs that they wrote that got up towards 10 minutes and they could drag those out but that would have been just the signature time changes what you could have done with the lights when you brought it down for the slow middle part and then ramp it back up boop, 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 and, and going faster at the end it would be so cool and of course they didn't play on celebration day which is when they got back together God, almost it's like a decade and a half ago now at the O2 in London for a couple shows. They did break out some things from this album, but but not much and, and certainly not that one. So much maligned. A lot of people say it is the epitome of excess of Zeppelin, right? They This long 11-minute song, it's got all these time changes and the lyrics are inane and inaudible and blah 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 and I'm like that's what gives it its majesty that's why they can get say. away with it you know they're yeah. Led Zeppelin if the, you don't like it then don't listen to it right you know the it. Clash couldn't make that song if they had all of their lives to do it okay nothing against the Clash great punk rock band and they were a lot more talented than most of the punks but that's that that gene pool's more of a puddle yeah, the average punk fan, yes, they would they would go out of their mind on a 10-minute song. You can't. Again, that's back to your two minutes and 20 seconds. Okay, give me to the next thing. All right. Well, and then we, we come back to the sixth song, the next song, All of My Love. A sweet song, a hit record, long, almost six minutes, and it's another John Paul Jones, Robert Plant, no Jimmy Page writing on it, although he plays some great guitar work, especially towards the end there. But I just can't imagine having to sing this song. I mean, I can't imagine having to lose a child and then you you write a song about it, but then it's a hit, so now you gotta go out and sing it. I, I think that would be incredibly difficult to do. Well and I never I never knew the story as when I first started listening to this as a kid, I didn't know. I'm okay. And then so you learn that, yes, and you think to yourself I mean, at some point in time, you probably could just flip the switch, but for a while it had to be, yeah, just every night, you know, listening to, having to sing it, 
and think about the, the your child. I can't think of anything more devastating than that. And to, to have him go through that and come out on the other end is is incredible. Yeah, there's some songs out there that I have a hard time singing in the car because I have such an emotional connection to them, and I can get choked up trying to sing them. And obviously, I didn't write the songs, right? They're not my songs about my life or my family or my loves lost or whatever. And I can have that personal of a connection to them and have a hard time singing in my, you know, off-key, out of tune. He has to go up there in front of thousands of people, sing it pitch perfect, right on, every night. That's a, that's a man's job that, uh, that I, don't, I would not relish. That's up there with, uh, imagine Lindsey Buckingham singing Go Your Own Way to... <laughs> Stevie Nicks, who's standing, you know, 10 feet from you every night. And that's a big song they didn't get away from. So, yeah, there's there's being a professional artist Mm -hmm. kicks in, especially for a while. I think Stevie was then hooking up with Mick for a while. She was. Uh, So it's like it'd be one thing. Okay, Stevie's with Don Henley. Fine. You can go run off to the Eagles plane, you know, after we do the show, Stevie. But when she's dating the drummer behind you, man, that's got to give you a little yeah, just a little bit of, yeah, you know, you can go your own way, yeah. woman. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And stop grinning at me, Mick. Yeah. Slap you right in the head. <laughs> but no, All My Love, a, a beautiful song. Again, for the hard rockers, too big of a departure, I guess. But if you think into the 80s when Led Zeppelin's, they were gone. But obviously the presence wasn't forgotten because they, they, they call it hair bands and hair metal and stuff like that. But all those folks were hugely influenced by Led Zeppelin. And with the void of them leaving, a lot of people came in to fill it. But so many of those hard rock bands, their big hits were the ballads, right? Queensryche was a very hard rock and heavy band, but they hit the big time with Silent Lucidity, right? Uh, you can go well, on and... That's like... Go on and on, right? was, uh, was Home Sweet Home. Home that Sweet was, Home. That was put pro That's right. That's what, that's what got them big. Right. L.A. Guns, hard rock band. But the Ballad of Jane is what goes up the charts, you know, over and over and over. You you saw that in the 80s. So you got to be a you got to be a hard rocker with a heart of gold uh, to write that that stuff, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. That's the thing. Led Zeppelin's influence in the United States was huge. American rock radio was all over them. And so all those bands that came out in the late 70s, early 80s, we're all trying to do their best Led Zeppelin impersonation somehow or another. Well, you remember what I, I don't even remember what the name of it was, but there's a there's a concert tape from Def Leppard when they were uh, either the either high and dry maybe mm-hmm. from that tour, and Joe Elliott is channeling Robert Plant. He's got the moves, he's got the head shake back and forth. I'm like, that's he's he looked at him and he said, that's what I want to do. And he modeled pretty much his whole stage presence off of that. So you're right. I think everybody wanted to be Led Zeppelin. And that could be because when you break apart the band, they're all pretty cool. Oh, you know, Robert Plant is the, you know, the consummate front man. Jimmy Page is the axe, you know, axe slinger. You've got Bonham back there who's just beating the absolute crap out of the drums. And then you've got Jones who can do anything and, and be cool about it. That's right. Well, and Def Leppard even got their name basically from Led Zeppelin. Correct. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, they took one thing and kind of renamed it and, and basically made the letters look a little bit the same. But hey, we love Def Leppard. That's why our ninth podcast was on the classic Pyromania. <laughs> and then, of course, the last song on there, I'm Gonna Crawl, kind of an old bluesy kind of thing, down and dirty blues, but it's it's got some heaviness to it. It's, it's more of a hard rock blues 
and a great way to kind of wind up the album. Yeah, and, and it's a, it's another kind of change over again after all of my love. Uh, again, to listen to it in the way that it was intended, I think is kind of cool because it kind of you kind of takes you on a journey. And and a lot of times the last song on a record is I don't want to say a throwaway, but it's like oh, what do we do with it? Just put it at the end. I think it works. I think it's cool. It's a nice way to round it out. And again, it's a it's a five minute twenty eight, not super long, not super short but uh, a nice way to end the record. And you make a good point there, Action. You can close a record well. A lot of people will, if you've got 10, 12, however many songs on the record, and it's a little different now that they're CDs, because back in the day, you had to decide what went on side A and, and what went on side B. And maybe you would save a really good song for the first song on side B. And you want to kind of take it up and then maybe have a low part and then bring it back up because you, that's how people would consume the music. Once CDs became the most prevalent way that people would buy records, then you could mix it a little bit differently. You might have a slower section or a lull in the middle, but you might want to build it out towards the end. Some people have the theories, just put your best song first and your second best song second and your third best song. Because if you lose them in the third song by putting your ninth best song in that place, then they're never going to get back to the third best song if you're saving it for ninth or tenth. So just put your best songs in order there. I like to have a kind of rhythm and flow to the record where there's kind of ups and downs and kind of leads you through that. And it seems that, I'm not sure, is this kind of the last one? And they said, well, yeah, this is a good slow one. It's a good way to wrap it up. Where it's like, yeah, well, we can't fit wearing and tearing on here, uh, which was a great rocking song that ended up on Coda. There's a few songs like Darlene, Ozone Baby, and Wearing and Tearing that they did in these sessions, but they didn't fit on the record, so they were going to save them for later. Did they say, okay, well, this is just the seventh best one, so we'll put it last? Or did they say that this is how we kind of want to end things up? Because, you, you know, when you've got a ten and a half minute Carousel Ambra, it may just be a matter of how do we balance the time on both sides? Yeah, and that's that's the one thing, too, that I noticed looking back through this is it's a nice, tight, I think, 41 minutes altogether, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not it's not a super long record. And, and everything just kind of fits together. And you're right, they did have other tracks on there that they could have. Obviously, I mean, you could do whatever you wanted to back then. But they, they chose to hold them back because they wanted it to be like, they, they wanted it to be these songs in this order. And, uh, I mean, you could you could probably go through and argue, well, you should have put this on instead of this. But you did get Coda out of that also, so that was kind of nice. One, one more, you know, kind of a last hurrah. Yeah, and Coda was a... A mishmash of things. Yeah, about half the songs were from the last session. Some were things that they picked up from uh, from a long ways back. The Coda re-release, the, the deluxe edition, is actually an interesting pickup because they do have, it is remastered, but they do have some other things on there. Like they'll have Hey, Hey, What Can I Do, which is kind of the, the B-side to the Immigrant song. It has Traveling Riverside Blues which was something I think they did on BBC a long time ago, and it was released as part of the big box set that came out in the 1990s. But it also yeah. had like early versions of stuff like In the Light that I wondered, well, why wasn't that on the Physical Graffiti re-release? Um, and you get two discs. I mean, it was eight songs and a short eight, I feel like, on the original Coda. And then you got two bonus discs, so it wasn't just rough edits and mixes. It was you know some of the stuff that, that was missing 
uh, from over the years. But yeah, no, those seven songs make up In Through the Outdoor. And yeah, it leaves you to wonder because afterwards, now Jimmy Page says, and then and now, said, hey, after that, I didn't really like that record very much. Bonham didn't like it much. Even Plant came out against it, even though he basically wrote the whole thing with John Paul Jones. Said that they, they didn't love it and that the next one would be a straight ahead hard-charging rock and roll record. And of course, they never really had the chance to do that. So you have to sit and wonder, would they have gone back to that much harder edge? Would they have done that once? And then through the 80s, because synthesizers were such a big part of pop music and getting on MTV in the 80s, would they have let JPJ stretch out a little bit more and, and do more within the band we'll never know and the other thing is too you know you say oh well i didn't like that or looking back on it now but you know so when did this come out 79 yep. so maybe fast forward to like 81 you're putting out the next record you know we may not have loved that but the fans sure did so let's let's keep you know let's keep walking down that road and see what's ha what happens i yeah you're right who knows you could argue that all day long but it would have been nice it is nice to hear jones like you said stretching out a little bit and, and being kind of more upfront and uh, driving the bus a little bit. And then after that, you don't hear a whole lot from John Paul Jones. He doesn't join another band. He does some soundtrack work. He does some good work with other people, but he never really does create another rock record. He, he never takes himself down that road. You'd have thought that somebody would have said, hey, that last Zeppelin album, when Jimmy and John were checked out, he did a lot of that. Maybe we should create something around him, and it never really happened. Maybe he didn't want to trade on his past or affect his legacy. Maybe he figured, hey, I got plenty of this Led Zeppelin money. I'm not out doing drugs and, and all sorts of women. I'm married to the same woman. I have a family. Uh, those royalty checks still come in. I don't have to do much. Well, yeah, and a lot of that obviously is owed to Peter Grant, who got them a very lucrative deal with the record company but yeah who knows maybe maybe after all of that going through the led zeppelin experience i mean i'm sure he had people calling him you know wanting him to do stuff maybe he was just like i'm, I'm just gonna do my thing i'm just gonna relax hang out with the family you know spend some of the zeppelin money i don't need this and to and to jump back into it and do something that maybe isn't as well received and mm -hmm. then, uh, well, I told you this guy, he was just the, he was just the, the, uh, utility infielder in the back. But I think, yeah, I think he has done some things. Um, I know he's produced a lot of stuff. He kind of moved into that role, maybe not out in front anymore, but definitely keeping himself not in the forefront, but involved in the music business. Well, and he even says, I see in this interview after the split, I was completely out of everything. And I must say, I didn't miss it. I mean, I missed the guys, but I, you know, I was raising my family, plenty of money, and he still got to work with people like Brian Eno and, like you said, Lanny Kravitz, uh, did something with Peter Gabriel. I know R.E.M. did something with him at some point, and he did a little bit of soundtrack work, but you know, he just didn't need it. He had the money. He had a lifestyle that he wanted, and he got out, so God bless him. But because Page's output wasn't that amazing either. A couple, band, a couple albums with The Firm, a Roy Halper record, the Outrider record, the Coverdale Page record, did the tour of the Crows. Although I like some of that, I like The Firm. and we. But Jimmy's legacy is really just Led Zeppelin. He, he continues to re-release Led Zeppelin and be curator of all things Led Zeppelin. And at 77, I don't think he's going to be making a whole lot of new music or touring a whole lot. I, I think that 
you know, we have what we have of Led Zeppelin. And to me, In Through the Outdoor, if you just want to put on one record and listen to it all the way through, that's the one to do it. It's it's different. It's progressive. It's still hard. It's still Led Zeppelin. I don't know. I like it. And I think it gets a bad rap. I think you're right. I think it does. In the Led Zeppelin catalog, it would be the quote unquote soft one. But I think you, I think you do. You have to embrace the whole thing and love it for what it is. And unfortunately, this was the last, the last hurrah. Yeah, just let it play through. Just groove and let it do its thing. And that's what I'm looking for these days. I'm not looking for give me the greatest hits. I'm not looking for just give me one song and then we'll skip to another artist. I want to put on a record and hear it as a whole. And to me, this is the most listenable one 40 years later, 42, I guess it is, years later. Uh, oh, it's too bad, though. I don't know. It's just... Eh. It, then it just goes back to it kills me that I mean Jimmy Page is still around thank goodness he had every chance not to be but the the fact that you know that we lost Bonham and what could have been you know either e- even if they had never made another Led Zeppelin record you know they could have gotten back together they could have done something you know they they played at uh, Live Aid mm-hmm. with I think Bill Collins on the drums I mean that could have been easy that O2 show it's just it's just sad when somebody like that with that much talent just checks himself off the planet. But I applaud Zeppelin for not pushing on Vadim. It created this great aura of the band. It was just the four of them. It was never anybody else. They didn't go out and trade on their past. You know, you could do the unleaded thing with Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, as maybe doing trading on your past a little bit. Obviously, I thought that was great, reworking those songs in a cool way. They kept John Paul Jones out of it, but then that way that could allow it to be what it was. You bring JPJ in, and then it's Led Zeppelin. And then it has to be this enormous, huge thing. And getting to see them on both those tours they did, especially the one with then they toured with the orchestra. I don't know if they toured with the orchestra. I think they got with each orchestra in each venue. Didn't have their own. They just kind of showed up in Orlando, and then you got the Central Florida Philharmonic or the Orlando you know, orchestra with you or whatever. But that was amazing to see those songs done that way. So you could still see a little connection to it. Obviously, Robert Plant's had a fantastic solo career. He's released more records as a solo artist than he, they did in Led Zeppelin. But they, they didn't try to keep pushing it. They re-released a lot of stuff. They unearthed some things. But they didn't continue to play as a band. Like you said, they did Live Aid, they did Atlantic Records, you know, Anniversary, and they did the Celebration Day thing. Um, But they weren't always touring as Led Zeppelin, trying to become Led Zeppelin again. And I I think that's a good thing. And I I hope they're, uh, although people will still push for it at, at, at 80 years old, let's do one more show. I hope they never do. I hope it's over. And I always thought, even as a kid, I always thought that was a baller move that they, they just said, it's the four of us or nothing. You'll you'll not get any more output from us. I didn't. I was excited for the for the Page Plant reunion. I liked the fact that they reworked the stuff and they weren't trying to just you know just here's a, a rehash. Right. They really reworked it. Some of the songs were a little slower, but it was a. It, you're right. It was a different animal. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I mean I I let's be real honest. Jason Bonham could do this with his eyes closed. They could have a Led Zeppelin reunion. They could play as Led Zeppelin with Jason Bonham on the drums tomorrow. But and Jason don't. would die to do it. Jason would, would. love would. to do it. Now and I'd love to see it. However, they, they, they're they done. It's done. You're not going to see this again. There is something to be said for you know not a 15th, oh, this is it. This is our last tour. You better come see us. It's our, oh, just kidding. Here we come again. 
So I and, and that could have a lot to do with Plant being very successful as a solo artist, doing a lot of different things. You mm-hmm. know, we mentioned the Honey Drippers. He did the album with Allison Krauss, which is which is more uh, is country. He's Raising got the, what is it the the Soul Shifters now or the Fabulous Shapes? Yeah, and the, he's yeah. the Dead of Joy. He, he's he, yes. He he doesn't just he's like I don't just want to be a jukebox, which is it's it's a little demeaning to other bands who go out and play their greatest hits he's still a jukebox it's just he's playing new songs people don't know as well versus just playing old stuff from the 70s i guess he should be thankful for that that he doesn't have to do that because there are some bands and musicians out there like that's the only way they can play is to go out there and play the old hits and play them the way you're used to hearing them on the radio but that's why the unleaded thing with jimmy and robert was so cool because they did slow a lot of that stuff down they took it in a different direction they reworked it with a totally different group of bandmates and made it cool and made you appreciate how great that music was again so don't just rehash it like you say uh, let's reinvigorate it. And then Celebration Day, I think it was just a good way to kind of say goodbye. It's like, you know what? We never really did get to do that final show. We don't need to go do an enormous tour, although they were thinking about it. And I think everybody but Robert was thinking we might just do this after that. But I- I'm so glad they didn't. Yes, I'm sorry I didn't get to be one of the people in the O2. I think they had, you know, 20 million ticket requests for 20,000 tickets or something like that. Would have loved it. But I've seen the video, got the record, glad they did it, wrapped it up. And that's that's enough for me on Let's Up. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up this week for the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Thanks for sticking around. I know it's one of our longer episodes. But you knew we had to go a little bit in-depth on a band as important as Led Zeppelin. And in through the outdoor, though much maligned, I think is an amazing testament to the power and majesty of Led Zeppelin. And the fact that they didn't go on after the death of John Bonham, the fact that they had little tidbits here and there, just adds to their aura, their legacy, their legend. Hey, listen, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss out on the point? Please let us know. Tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or visit our website, uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N, And check out all of our past episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, and most anywhere you get your podcasts. Clues about next week. Give you a hint. It's probably something from the early 80s because that's where Jackson and I grew up and found our rock and roll. Hey, until then, thanks for tuning in, guys. Be cool and stay safe. With classes in crisis communication, influence, and data presentation, Gonzaga University's online Master's in Communication and Leadership equips you with the tools you need to communicate clearly and encourage creativity in any industry. Concentrations in digital media, strategic communication, and global leadership allow you to customize your degree. Visit gonzaga.edu communication and learn why a master's degree from Gonzaga can help you take your career to the next level. That's gonzaga.edu communication. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years' experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 